Hello everyone. Thank you for joining us here at the Sonoma Avenue Church of Christ for the next sermon in our series, Back to the Start, a study of the gospel. Here are some of the things that we have learned in the past several weeks. Number one, the gospel is God's story spoken into a broken world. Jesus entered a world that was very much torn apart by politics, by religion, by social standing. But Jesus and his ministry spent time with those who were ignored and broken, giving them a place at the table. Uh, the gospel story we have seen is alive. It's not something that just kind of exists on a shelf, but instead it needs to interact with someone's life in order to reach its fullness. We have seen that the gospel story is a love story. It's the story of a God who saw his children reject him and run away from him and waited every day for them to return. And when his children return, he runs out and restores them. And we share this story of God's love because we have experienced his great love and goodness. We have seen that a story told is not as powerful as a story lived. And we are expected to live out the gospel in the lives of those that we encounter. And this means that we show the love of God to others in a very real and tangible way. And we must speak up wherever we see oppression and injustice. And this is not a suggestion on the part of Jesus. This is a requirement for living the gospel life. It's how you show that God has changed you. We've also seen that in order to accept the gospel and to live it out in our lives, there is something that we must do. We have to be willing to look at ourselves honestly and to see what is there. Uh, Jesus calls it coming into the light. And even though we love the darkness and we want to keep our deeds hidden, we are told that if we come into the light and we are exposed by the light, it is in this place that God gets to shower his love upon us and change us forever. I want to start this morning, now that we've gotten through that business, by telling you a story. There was a man who liked to get up early in the morning and walk. There was no real particular reason that he liked this other than he wanted the exercise and it gave him a chance to get out and think before the day started. It was nice to be away from what he called the demands of his life. He had so little time to himself throughout the day and, and he discovered it was really quite therapeutic for him to start out with this quiet time. He, he tried at first to do it at home, but with the kids around, that did not work. So his wife was gracious enough to allow him to go out on this walk every day by himself. He lived on the outskirts of town, so it didn't take him very long before he could be away from almost everyone and everything. Now his life was good. He had made a good living. He was able to provide good things for his family. They had a good place to live, they didn't have any needs really that were not met. His life was what he would describe as a blessed and good life. And yet, somehow in the back of his mind, he had this nagging feeling that life could still be better. He wasn't sure what that meant or what it would look like 
which made it really hard to explain to someone else. It wasn't like he was ungrateful. He just sometimes wondered if there was more than what he was getting. He had reached the point in his walk where he would usually turn around, and it was at this big empty field that was for sale. But he wasn't quite ready to turn around yet, so he did something he had never done before. He crossed over the fence and walked out into this field. His idea was just to kind of see what kind of soil it had to get a feel for this land that he had walked by so many times. So for af after walking into the field for a few minutes, he reached a patch that was exceptionally green and he bent over and he dug his hands down into the earth and the soil was black and heavy. He thought to himself this would be great for growing olive trees and he remembered uh, his time on his grandfather's farm as a child and he's dug his hands again into the small hole he had made and his fingers struck something hard there under the dirt. He brought his hands back out and began to spread the dirt around so that he could see what it was that his fingers hit. It was a box of some kind. He could tell that. So he started making the hole a little bit bigger and, and spreading the dirt off the top of the box and he uncovered the top and saw a glint of gold underneath the grime and the dirt. It was a box made of gold. Just the box alone would be worth a lot of money. He knew this, but he pulled the box out and opened it to see what was inside and the box was filled with riches that he had only ever dreamed of. This box contained life-changing wealth. This treasure would make him the richest person in town. It would make him the richest person that he had ever heard of. It would provide for his family for generations. All of a sudden he realized this was not his field. And he looked around to see if anyone was watching and no one was. He was completely alone. So he put the box back into the hole, covered it with dirt, stood up, and started to walk quickly back towards his home. What was he going to do? Well, a plan was already forming. From Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 through 46. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Now, these are two very simple stories told here by Jesus, but they are full of meaning for us today. So let's break them down. It's a very simple premise. The story starts by there is a man who finds treasure and he recognizes how much this treasure is worth. And we have to realize that this is not just a treasure. It is great treasure. It is the biggest jackpot ever hidden in a field. And the treasure is so great that the man cannot help but immediately understand how this is going to change his life and how valuable this is. This treasure is obviously great. 
It's obviously great. Because he recognized how great the treasure was, he also recognized that if he were to put everything that he has together, that the treasure was still worth more. So the man takes what can only be called an extreme action. He went back home and sold everything that he had so that he could buy the field with the treasure in it. It's crazy, right? But then again, it's not. Because he so clearly understands that giving up everything he has is worth it in order to get this treasure in this field. What did he hold back in this transaction? The answer? Nothing. He sold all that he had. In fact, he, he had to sell everything he had in order to have the money to purchase the field, so, so he does it. Would it be a big deal for you to sell everything you have? Are there things that you're attached to, maybe things that hold sentimental value, things you've gotten from your parents or your grandparents? How would you feel about parting with those things? And, and yet this man does it without hesitation. Why? Because again, the value of whatever he has is wiped away by the undeniable value of the treasure. If he has to sell everything to get that treasure, then he will. There is no question. There is no doubt. The treasure is worth more than everything he already has. It just is. Now, this story is a little bit weird. I find it hard to relate to the story, but we have to remember that this is a story that is not about money. This story is about the kingdom of God. It is a story about understanding the value of what God wants to do on this earth. And giving up everything to become a part of it. The kingdom of heaven is this great treasure in the field. And when you discover the treasure, your life will never be the same. The kingdom of heaven is not just a great treasure. It is the greatest treasure. It is a treasure that is so obviously great that anyone who looks at it would recognize its worth. There is nothing to compare it to. And your life that you had before you encounter this treasure becomes expendable in light of the treasure of the kingdom. And it is here that maybe we struggle into a more difficult part of this story. Something that maybe we've never even put into words before, but is true nonetheless. The kingdom of God is worth more than your life. In his book on preaching the parables, Blomberg says, The kingdom of God is so valuable that it's worth sacrificing whatever it takes to be its citizens. If you see the true value of the kingdom of God, you see you will give up anything, everything to possess it. 
The treasure is in the field. You don't own the field and therefore the treasure, but you can own it if you give everything up. And this is really the important piece of us wrapping our minds around this story. And I'm going to say it again. If you comprehend the value of the treasure, then this is something that you don't have to think about. But on the other side of that coin, it is an impossible choice. If you think that what you have is worth more than the treasure in the field. Because why would you give up everything that you have if you don't believe that what you're getting back is worth more? What does this have to do with the gospel? Well, the gospel is creating the kingdom of God here on earth. It's, it's putting this new system into place where people can come before God, where they can be loved and forgiven. But we know that when Jesus presented the kingdom and he presented the gospel to the people that he lived with, we know that when we have presented the kingdom and the gospel to those in our lives around us who are not Christians and who don't believe in God, we know that not everyone has seen or understood the value of the kingdom. And many have heard the gospel and decided not to follow Jesus. And sometimes I wonder if, if it's so obviously great, then why? Why did they not see it? Why didn't everyone recognize the great value of what Jesus was offering and decide to follow him? Jesus had huge crowds of people that followed him around wherever he went, people who wanted healing, people who wanted to hear him speak and teach, and Jesus couldn't go anywhere without drawing attention to himself. Some might imagine that if Jesus wanted his message to have maximum impact, he could have played off of his popularity. He could have used the mythology that was rapidly developing around him. But Jesus didn't do those things. Instead, as he reached the peak of his popularity, he began to speak a message to people that was controversial, confrontational, and maybe even a little bit offensive. In fact, he said, things that almost ensured that some people would not choose to follow him. And his message, in many ways, centered around what it meant to become a part of this kingdom, what it meant to make a choice to follow him. Here are just a few things that Jesus said on this particular subject. From Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 27. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. From Matthew 10, 34 through 37. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. 
Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And from Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 62. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, Follow me, but he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. I don't know how you feel about those passages, but there is some uncomfortable language in there, isn't there? Jesus says that anyone who loves their father or mother or daughter or son more is not worthy of him. Jesus says that no one who looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Jesus has great expectations for those who would call themselves Christians, for those who would call themselves his disciples. And the disciples of Jesus may have been a ragtag group of people, former tax collectors, prostitutes, sinners galore, but once they became disciples, they ceased to be whatever they were before. Why? Because when they became disciples, they began to live their life in a new way. They became something new, so much so that Paul says, we become a new creation in Christ. And they lived their lives under the tutelage and the model of the life that Jesus lived. And Jesus expected that anyone who followed him would follow only him. That you would not follow anyone or anything else, period. And furthermore, Jesus knows the difference between when we are following him with all that we have and when we are not. Everything must fall away in light of the decision to follow Jesus. So to that end, a, a disciple, a follower, cannot have divided attention. Jesus speaks about this again and again in several different ways. You can only have one master. You can only have one teacher. You can only follow one voice. And if you are going to be a disciple, your attention cannot be divided. And in the harsh words of Jesus, if your attention is divided, then you are not worthy of the calling. You are not worthy of calling yourself a disciple because you would be lying. If you are following anything but Jesus, then you are not his disciple. You are listening to other voices. You have 
other teachers. You are consciously or unconsciously putting other things ahead of the kingdom and the ethic of the gospel that Jesus is preaching and bringing alive into the world. And Jesus is telling us, whether we like it or not, we cannot say that we follow him and then go off and do something else because if that happens, by definition, we are not following him. And therefore, we are not worthy of being called his disciples. We are not fit for service if we will put something else in front of him. Which means that we are going to have to make some difficult decisions if we are going to live this gospel life as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Because discipleship is not just about getting all of the bad stuff in your life under control. Even the good things in your life, the gifts that God himself has given you, even those things have to come second behind the kingdom and behind the gospel. And Jesus warns us that you are going to find yourself in conflict with those that you love and those whom love you. You are going to find yourself in conflict with the world. And this may surprise you, but Jesus says it himself. His message is not going to draw the world together. It is going to pull it apart because the world does not want to hear what Jesus has to say. And as a follower, you are going to have to choose to stick to him, even if it means the rest of your life is going to be torn apart by your decision to follow Jesus Christ. Which tells us that you cannot accidentally, kind of, sort of, hopefully, become a disciple of Jesus. From Luke chapter 14, verses 28 through 35. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, This person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. I have ears to hear, but this is a hard message to hear. But the words of Jesus are so pointed and direct. You are invited to become a disciple, but you must weigh the cost before you make this commitment because if you cannot be a disciple in the right way, then you will not be of any use to the kingdom. Seems kind of harsh, right? Where's the Jesus that's inviting kids to like sit on his knee? After all, I mean, God wants us to do our best, and we've been talking about how the gospel preaches grace 
to us and how Jesus loves us and how there is no shame in being exposed before God, but how it allows us to live this life in salvation and forgiveness with our God. Surely God understands that we can be distracted by other things, and yes, God does understand, but here's the problem. We reason that we can still be a disciple, but give our attention to other things as well. Things like school or work or careers or family or future or money. All of these things are important and all of these things cannot simply be ignored and put away. And so this is the trap we find ourselves falling into. All of these things are important and, and even good things. And, and in order to do them well, they demand our attention. In fact, some of them increasingly demand more and more and more from us. And there are things like this all over our lives. The jobs that control us, the commitments that we have, which we feel like we cannot say no to. And in truth, we are willing to do whatever it takes in these different parts of our lives because we believe that it's important. And maybe sometimes we feel like we have no other choice but to live up to these commitments, to keep going, to keep going, to keep going. So if you're still with me, Here's the real crux of the issue for us. Each thing has its merits individually, but when you step back and take a look at the whole, everything that is pulling you in every direction, you begin to realize how much all of these other commitments begin to displace your relationship with God. You're living out the gospel in the world and your life as a disciple who follows one voice. And the easiest thing for us to do is to push off our discipleship. Why? Because God loves us and forgives us. He understands that we are busy. He knows our hearts, we say, and so we choose. We have to pay the bills. We have to have this job. We have to do these things. And we honor all of our commitments, and sometimes by honoring all our commitments in the way that we do, all we are giving God is what is left. And here is what Jesus is telling us. Discipleship, living the gospel life, will cost you everything. And you have to make a choice. You can either be in or out, but you can't be halfway. And you can't be a disciple some of the time. And you can't listen to other voices. Because a follower who shows up when he or she has time is not really a follower. And they are not doing anything for the kingdom. Well, Bryce, isn't there grace? Yes, everything we have talked about over the last several weeks still apply. Jesus is the embodiment of God's grace and love, but there is also real discipleship and fake discipleship. And Jesus implores us to weigh the cost and to make a choice. Now, this feels overwhelming at first glance, but it explains, church, why people who heard the gospel message from Jesus rejected it. Because Jesus was asking for everything. 
It is overwhelming. The cost is great. But here's where we have to remind ourselves of the parable that Jesus first told. Because none of this is about what Jesus wants to take away from us, you see? It's all about Jesus, what Jesus wants to give us. And it's true that Jesus demands to be first. He demands that we put him before everything. He demands that we give up all for him. He demands that we don't listen to these other voices. And if we look at it simply in terms of what we see Jesus calling us to give up, then what Jesus is asking may seem to be impossible. And even worse, it may seem like it's not worth it. So others hear the gospel and they say, Jesus wants to change me or I have to give this up. And they say, no, it's not worth it. But that's the mistake. Jesus assumes that what has led us to the point of being willing to give everything up is that we have first found the kingdom. We have first heard the gospel. We are catching on to all that God is doing. We understand the love and forgiveness and salvation that God is offering us. We have found the treasure in the field. And when we hold the treasure up and see everything that it offers to us, we see that the treasure is simply more valuable. It is greater than whatever it is that we have to give up in order to obtain it. The life that we once lived, the, the things that we once did, the, the house we once, all these different things, they pale in comparison to the grace of God through Jesus Christ. And when we begin to wrap our minds and hearts around the gospel, we see that there is nothing greater. And we give everything else up. Gladly. Willingly. Because there is no question, no question, that the treasure the gospel and the kingdom is just worth more. Jesus asks for everything, and then he gives us more back in return. And Jesus is so passionate about having followers who are sold out because he knows he can't have people going out into the world giving a gospel that is watered down or a gospel that is ignoring the things that God wants for us. He knows that he needs people who are going to go out into the world and proclaim the gospel and live the kingdom and change other people's lives. And he knows that we can't do that part way. So he calls us to be people of the gospel, to be people of the kingdom, to be disciples, followers of Jesus Christ. And this church this offer, this extension, this invitation is the best of news. For though we give up what we once were, who we become in the love and grace of Jesus is so much more. I pray that God will speak to you this morning and will tell you that whatever you have held on to from what you were before 
that you don't have to anymore, that you can let go of it. I pray that God puts a fire in your heart to be a person of the kingdom and the gospel. And I pray that God will remove all the other voices which would distract you from hearing his. May we be wholehearted followers of Jesus Christ. And in living that gospel in this world, may we change the lives of others. Thank you for being here with us for this time. I hope to see you soon.